0: and how do we fight? Thank you, Al. I appreciate that. Um, As a former Supercharger fan, (laughs) San Diego Supercharger fan, now the going-to-be-defunct L.A. Chargers, (laughs) I want to thank you for reminding me of one of the most painful episodes... (laughs) In the history of Charger fandom. Am I right, Kenny Kwan? Yeah, right? Yeah. You, you f- I'm feeling it, right? We're feeling it, man. But it's so true. And it's not just Ryan Leaf, right? It's uh, Todd Marinovich. It's, you know, you name it. There's plenty of examples of that. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And Lest we think we're not a Ryan Leaf or a... Whatever, we better be careful. But congratulations, congratulations. You made it to church at the right hour. <laughs> Even though maybe you're a little bit sleepier, right? Uh, because that, that precious hour of sleep is so important. Uh, but let's pray as we prepare our hearts for this morning to receive God's word. Father, thank you uh, for this beautiful day and uh, while it started cloudy, I believe it will warm up in a bit and we will, we will experience the blessing of living here in this place. But help us not to be uh, sort of succumb to the, the warmth and to forget uh, your many blessings to not live in gratitude, but to look to you and to humbly come before you. So Lord, we just open up our hands, we open up our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. We Thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Well, we are continuing our series through Lent. Uh, This is the second week of Lent, which began Ash Wednesday, March 1st, and We will conclude it with Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 16th. Uh, Lent comes from the shortened English word for lengthen. Lengthen, and it is sometimes used to refer to springtime when the days start to get longer. And then add to to that daylight savings time, and and we get to enjoy longer days of sunny Southern California weather. Lent can also be a journey. Lent can also be a journey, and I hope that you have begun this journey with all of us as we seek to draw closer to God through sacrifice, prayer, and intentional living. Intentional living. I say intentional because so much of our lives is so fast-paced that we don't take much time to slow down and consider what life is really all about. In fact, if we're doing pretty good, if everything's going along well, everything's going all right with your family, with yourself, with God, we can seem to think everything is okay. It's easy to put things on autopilot, right? We don't have to worry about those things. But Lent is a time in the Christian year where we intentionally slow down and even stop to consider where life is and where it's going. If we don't, we might be tempted, as Pastor Curtis excellently taught us last week, to rely on our own abilities, our own strength to keep things going right, to keep the ship afloat and headed in the right direction. In fact, we might be like the story Jesus told in Luke 18, where two men, men, a Jewish religious leader called a Pharisee, And a tax collector, probably one of the most hated professions in Israel at the time, very much like the IRS agent of today. The two men walk into a temple together. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? (laughs) Two guys walk into a temple together. But these two two men walk into the temple and the Pharisee begins to pray as he looks over at the tax collector with contempt... And he prays this, God, I thank you, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. I fast and I tithe and I obey all of God's commandments. But the tax collector was different. Somebody want to answer that? (laughs) The tax collector was different. He prayed, God, have mercy on me. He was so humble, he didn't even want to look up into heaven. He prayed looking down. And he prayed, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. Which of those two, which of those two men do you relate to more? You know, if I'm I'm honest with myself, I'm more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. Pride. Pride can blind us like that. We can think that we're righteous in ourselves. But Lent helps us to take those blinders off, to see things as God sees them, as they really are. And in that discipline of sacrifice and praying and examining ourselves, we can begin to experience the kind of life that God wants us to have. The kind of life that others might look at and think, You know, I wish I was more like that person, joyful, humble, grateful for what they have. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. What happens when we're blinded by pride, and what can we do about it? First, as we approach God, we will reflect on a prayer that is essentially a paraphrase of Psalm 32, which we will study a little bit more closely. So let's read this section of Approaching God Together, and it's printed on your outline. It's also up on the screen. We're going to read through these sections together, all right? Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in you, O Lord. If I keep silent, I will waste away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand is heavy on me, and my strength dries up as in the heat of summer. So I will not hide my sin from you, but acknowledge it. I confess my transgressions, O Lord, and I ask you to forgive my guilt. Do not treat me like a horse or mule without understanding and curbed by bit and bridle. Rather, teach me the way I should go and counsel me with your eye on me so that I may live this day in a manner pleasing to you. We're focusing on Psalm 32 this morning as we seek to find a role model for a humble reliance on God's spirit to help us stay close to him. This is a psalm of David, and while it doesn't exactly and specifically say what the circumstance was, this may in fact be a companion psalm to Psalm 51, and if you look at Psalm 51, that is definitely a cry of repentance, and it is most probably after David's affair with Bathsheba. So it's possible that this psalm, Psalm 32, was written after Psalm 51, and it is, it is a result of David's receiving forgiveness after this horrible sin. But as we listen to God through Psalm 32, we might find that we have the joy, we can have, we can live in, we can have the joy of someone who has experienced forgiveness, the joy of someone who has experienced forgiveness forgiveness. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32, for those of you who brought your analog Bible with you, it's kind of like right in the middle of the Bible. So if you take your Bible and kind of split it right in half, you'll find Psalms, and it's right in there. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a smartphone app, uh, there are Bibles at the end of the, the aisle, and if you want to grab one, you can. And If you don't have a Bible at home, you are invited to take that one with you, so you can have one, all right? But let's read verses 1 and 2 together from Psalm 32, and I'm going to give you a little bit more time. I love to hear the sound of the pages rustling, yeah? Can't hear your finger flipping on 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 your touch screen, right? All right. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. Blessed or happy, the same word Jesus uses in the Beatitudes. Happy or joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sin is not counted against them. Now we should note that while the NIV uses two words, specifically transgression and sin for our offense, the Hebrew actually uses three different words synonymous with wrongdoing. And in each case, God treats them differently. Okay, So the first one, transgression. Transgression. What is transgression? What is a transgression? Uh, to put it simply, translated, it can mean crossing the line. Crossing the line. It's a deliberate act of defiance. Right? It's a deliberate act. of. It's, it's like the kid that you tell, don't cross that line. You better not cross that line. If you cross that line, you're going to get it. So what do they do? (laughs) They move the line. I didn't cross the line. I didn't cross the line, right? But our transgression is forgiven by God. The word forgiven here means to be carried up, to be lifted, to be born. Our transgressions are born, carried up by God. Keep that picture in your mind. The second word sin, second word sin means miss the mark, miss the mark. It's, it's, it's a mistake, right? I tried to do the right thing, but I missed the mark. I missed it by that much, right? It's like target shooting. It's like target shooting or either by gun or by arrow or whatever. You not, you not only miss the bullseye, but you miss the target altogether, right? Missing the mark. It's a mistake. And here the psalmist says, David says, God covers our sin. He conceals it. He hides it away. It's like our clothing, right? It hides those parts of our body that we don't want to expose. God covers those things. Like God covered the sin of Adam and Eve. And the third, which the NIV uses the word sin. In other translations, the word is iniquity. Iniquity. And we said it in the opening part. It said, God does not impute our iniquity upon us. And iniquity is like crookedness. It's like crookedness. It's like this wire hanger. And if this wire hanger gets bent, right, it's, it's really it's no longer useful In fact, it's impossible to unbend this wire to exactly the the same shape that it was before. Is that right? Can you do that for me, Al? No. I'll I'll expect it by the end of the sermon. And here the word that is used is uh, imputed does not impute our iniquities upon us. And imputed is an accounting term. So God does not count our our crookedness. Even if we're crooked, even if we're crooked in our wrongdoings, if we confess them, God doesn't even count them anymore. It's like he throws it away. It's like it's no longer even taken into account. This person is happy. They're blessed because their wrongdoing has been completely, completely forgiven. It is borne up, carried as Jesus carried the cross for our sins. It is covered. It's no longer accounted for. God no longer counts it against us. It's stricken from our record. David uses three ways of looking at sin because he wants to acknowledge the fact that God looks at every aspect of our wrongdoing. He looks at it from every angle, every aspect. Whether it was intentional or deliberate, whether it was a mistake or simply an accident, or something is is crooked or bent out of shape, God will redeem and restore He will redeem and restore that spirit, that person, to wholeness. God is in the redemption and restoration business. David says, in their spirit, there is no deceit. At the end of verse 2, in their spirit, there is no deceit. They have come clean with God. They're not trying to deceive God. They've come clean with God, and he has forgiven them. How often do we do something? We make a mistake, we offend someone, and we, wanna, we want to deny it. We want to, we want to hide it. Or we want to downplay it. Oh, you know, I was only joking, right? Can't you take a joke? I was only joking. Or maybe, you know, we want to throw the blame on someone else. We want to throw somebody else under the bus. You know, he did it, right? Um, if you have kids, I'm sure you've heard that And you have more than one. I'm sure you've heard that more than once. They did it. Somebody else did it. If we only came clean, if we only agreed with God about our faults and our shortcomings, if we only lived with that humble attitude about ourselves. Now, we can have false humility also, can't we, right? Or we can have misplaced humility, misplaced humility, false humility or misplaced humility. False humility is saying we're no good. When in fact in our minds, in our hearts, we're thinking, but I'm still not as bad as that guy over there. Or we can have misplaced humility, where we say I am really bad because that person says I'm bad. When in fact it's the other person's, problem. It's their issue. It's not yours. You have to be careful not to have false humility or misplaced humility. But if we have done something wrong and sinned against God, it is best to quickly agree with God and admit our shortcoming. Or we will be living in the pain. We will be living in the pain of guilt and of shame. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent, when I kept silent, when I hid my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the guilt of my sin. What a graphic picture, right? What a graphic picture of someone living in the pain of their guilt. I wonder if anyone these days would come to this place of feeling like their bones are wasting away because they've tried to hide their sin or wrong. Maybe Ryan Lee at some point, finally came to that place. Perhaps someone who has done some great evil might suffer the pangs of guilt and of shame. But it does seem to me that in our society, we're becoming more and more callous to our shortcomings. Maybe even more brazen in committing crimes. Without any sense of remorse or sorrow. Our court systems are flooded with cases of people seeking justice in the face of cold-hearted crime. And now in the digital age, there's even greater temptation to take the shortcut to money or fame or fortune and cause all kinds of real and virtual damage, from identity theft to cyberbullying to you name it, and it's out there. A person with a... Spirit that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit will feel God's hand heavy upon them, their strength sapped as in the heat of summer. Again, I don't know if any of us would be able to say we've experienced that level of inner pain and anguish over some wrong that we have committed. More likely, we will try to justify it in our minds and throw the blame in another direction. And I wonder... I wonder how a person gets to that level of connection with God, that they can have a sense of the weightiness, the weightiness of the situation. Do you wonder the same thing? But the joy of a righteous person is that even when there is a great sin committed, if we acknowledge our sin, if we don't try to cover up our wrongdoing. If we come clean with God, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, as 1 John 1, 1.9 tells us. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. As a parent, while it isn't the most pleasant thing to have to go through, um, I think I would rather have my children come to me and confess their wrongs then catch them in it and force it out of them. Would you agree? Would you agree? You know, that shows the love and trust between parent and child. It shows a relationship developed to the point of sensitivity and responsiveness to God's loving prompting at repentance. Because regardless of whether or not there is this greater disregard for common human decency and respect, or we are fine, upstanding citizens, we must remember that our actions are not just seen by parents, or security cameras, or antivirus software, or even neighborhood watches. God is the ultimate judge, and we cannot escape his view of our lives. So even when good-natured, law-abiding, Christ-followers, even if we are those, we must heed the lessons of those too proud to seek forgiveness. We must heed the lessons of those too proud to seek forgiveness. David goes on to say, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In verse 8, God tells us he will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. He will counsel with his loving eye on us, If we are faithful and pray while God can be found, we will have a hiding place, a secret cove where God will protect us from trouble and we will be surrounded by songs of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. His eye is not a surveillance eye waiting to catch you. His eye is a loving eye wanting to protect you, like a parent of a toddler who keeps watchful eye on their young one because they know the toddler isn't capable of protecting themselves, of keeping themselves safe. And we will be surrounded by songs of deliverance. What do you think songs of deliverance sound like? I think they are joyful and exuberant but I also think they're quiet and grateful, both at the same time. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That we can be joyful and noisy and quiet and thoughtful. For the high-energy folks, you know, the first part sounds really good. And for the low-key folks, the second. But both at the same time, how is that possible? If, however, in our pride, we try to hide from God, thinking that we don't need him, we, end, we may end up like the stubborn mule who doesn't want to follow the master. So a bit and bridle is required to get the mule to cooperate, A mule or a horse has no understanding. They have no higher brain function. They only react by instinct. Their instinct is to dig in their heels and do what they want to do. We have a little dog at home named Zoe. And Zoe is a beagle. And by instinct, the the instinct of the beagle is to sniff and sniff everything and to wander off. And if we didn't have a leash on on Zoe, she would wander off to who knows where. In fact, we adopted Zoe from a shelter because she was found wandering the streets as a stray, somewhere up in Bakersfield. But we don't know where she started. Could have been anywhere. The lesson is this. Don't be like Zoe. (laughs) Or the mule. The thing to do is to be in right relationship with your master. And when he looks one way, we sense that, and we're quick to obey. Why? Because we know that he's a loving and good master, and he wants only the best for us. And not only that, he's a loving and good, good father. He's a loving and good, good father.
1: And if we've done anything
0: wrong, it's best to fess up and come clean and be in right relationship with him and with others. Because the psalm says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. And how does David end this psalm? Verse 11. Verse 11. Let's read it together. Turn to your Bible. Verse 11. Psalm 32, verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous, sing, all you who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, sing and be upright in heart. Now let's take another, uh, take a look at another example. Another Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. We can be, it can be found in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So if you would, please turn with me to John, chapter 3. Now John is, is in the New Testament. And if you flip forward about half the way of what's left in the second half of the Bible, you'll find the Gospels, the New Testament. John is the fourth Gospel of so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and I'll read it for you You follow along with me. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things? that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, as we read this story about Nicodemus, some questions come to my mind, and I'd like us to kind of interact over those just for a little bit here, all right? The first question that comes to mind are, is, what, are, what were some of the signs of Nicodemus's spiritual pride what do you think were some of the signs of Nicodemus' spiritual pride? Anybody? If, you, if something pops up. What do you think? Say that again? I can't, I can't hear you. He came to see Jesus at night. The first thing we observe is Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. Now, you know, it's, it's not like we have in Los Angeles where there's street lights on every corner. You know, in those days, to walk at night is a dangerous thing. And so Nicodemus takes a chance, and he comes to Jesus at night. Now, why do you think he comes to Jesus at night? Doesn't want to be seen. Maybe he's afraid of his Pharisee buddies. What will they think of him? He's going to see Jesus. What else? Any other signs of his spiritual pride? The, the Pharisees thought they kept the law. Yes. So as a Pharisee, he would have thought he was okay, that he kept the law, that he's, he's good to go. Anything else? Part of, the Part of the ruling council. Part of the ruling council. But what do you notice about his interaction with Jesus? All these things are true. He's a teacher He's a Pharisee. He knows the law. He's part of the ruling council. He doesn't need anything, right? He doesn't need anything. But what is he seeking from Jesus? An explanation. explanation. He's got lots of questions, right? Lots of questions. How does Jesus answer him? Does, does Nicodemus even, like, comprehend what Jesus... Jesus is on a different level, right? But Nicodemus is still... He's still kind of questioning. I think... He, what do you mean? What do you mean? Explain that. Explain that. He just doesn't... He doesn't get it. And Jesus calls him out. He says, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I'm talking to you about, you know... You're thinking on the earthly level, but I'm talking about the heavenly level. How about us? What are some ways that we can demonstrate kind of a spiritual pride towards God? Any thoughts? It's a little bit tougher, huh? It's a little bit tougher. How about ignoring God, thinking we know all the answers? Yeah? Or hiding in our, in our sin, thinking that we won't be caught. So we're not a whole far lot different than Nicodemus, right? We're not a whole lot different than Nicodemus. The third question And you don't have to answer it out loud. Like Nicodemus, in what ways will you come to Jesus and what will you be seeking? In what ways will you come to Jesus and what will you be seeking? You see, we're all seeking something from Jesus. But some are more more honest than others. Some seek to be recognized, like the first Pharisee I talked about this morning right, the one in the temple. Some come repentant like King David in Psalm 32. And some just come seeking answers to eternal questions, Like, what does it mean to be born again? I think Nicodemus came curious, but he left humbled in his ignorance. It is thought that the tomb that Jesus was buried in after Good Friday, belonged to the family of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And it was Joseph and Nicodemus, Joseph's cousin, who prepared Jesus' body for burial. Nicodemus came as a skeptic and someone with questions, and he left as a believer. He left as a believer. As we continue our journey through Lent, I'd like to invite you to pay closer attention to what God is saying to you. Here's a spiritual discipline that may help you day by day, in just a short time, maybe 10, 15 minutes a day, at the end of the day, before you lay your head down to go to sleep, to go over your day with God, to go over your day with God. It's called the daily prayer of of examine. The daily prayer of examine. A 16th century Catholic priest named uh, St. Ignatius developed this prayer of examine. And Ignatius founded the Jesuit order. Now Ignatius was a man who was very much concerned about examining his own heart and his own intentions with the desire to live out his life and to teach others to live out their lives in service to others for Christ. The prayer of examine can be done really any time during the day, although the nighttime seems like the best time to review the day with God and to ask him to reveal anything throughout the day that might have kept you from a deeper relationship with him, either with him or with others. Now there's a little handout in your programs. I don't know if you've seen it. It looks like this. It should be in your, you know, so take that out, and, uh, you know, take that, save that, please save that, you know, don't, uh, don't leave it behind on the, on the chair, and don't toss it out, um, and put it by your bedside, maybe, and if, you know, if you're, if you're really uh, ambitious, have it laminated, so that it lasts a little bit longer, all right, But keep it in a place where you can get to it, where you can look at it, to go through this prayer of examine. And I'd like us to quickly go now through kind of how the prayer of examine works. And there's basically five parts to it. Uh, The first part, it says, become aware of God's presence. Become aware of God's presence. Look back at the events of the day in the company of the Holy Spirit. The day may seem confusing to you, a blur, a jumble, a muddle. Ask God to bring clarity and understanding. Second, review the day with gratitude. With gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. Walk through your day in the presence of God and note its joys and its delights and focus on the day's gifts. Look at the work you did, the people you interacted with, What did you receive from these people? What did you give them? Pay attention to the small things, the food you ate, the sights you saw, the other seemingly small pleasures. God is in the details. Third, pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to your emotions. One of St. Ignatius's great insights was that we detect the presence of the Spirit of God in the movements of our emotions. Reflect on the feelings you experience during the day. Boredom, elation, resentment, compassion, anger, confidence. What is God saying through those feelings? God will most likely show you some ways that you fell short. Make note of these sins and faults. Look deeply for other implications. Does a feeling of frustration perhaps mean that God wants you to consider a new direction in, in some area of your work? Are you concerned about a friend? Perhaps you should reach out to them in some way. Fourth, choose one feature of the day and pray from it. One feature of the day and pray from it. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you to something during the day that God thinks is particularly important. It may involve a feeling, positive or negative. It may be a significant encounter with another person or a vivid moment of pleasure or peace. Or it may be something that seems rather insignificant. Look at it. Pray about it. Allow the prayer to arise spontaneously from your heart, whether intercession, praise, repentance, gratitude. If repentance, then confess. Take that time to confess, And ask God for cleansing. And then agree with God and and promise God or say to God that you will change your direction. You will repent. And then finally, look forward to tomorrow. Look forward to tomorrow. Ask God to give you light for tomorrow's challenges. Pay attention to the feelings that surface as you survey what's coming up. Are you doubtful, cheerful, apprehensive, full of delighted anticipation? Allow those feelings to turn into prayer. Seek God's guidance. Ask him for help and understanding. Pray for hope. Pray for hope. I hope that you will engage with God throughout this Lenten season. And that God will open your spiritual eyes to see what he is doing all around you, all the time. And I'd like to invite you, even right now, to our Maundy Thursday, which is April 13th and Good Friday, April 14th services. And we're calling these uh, the three days of Easter, the three days of Easter, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. These are the three significant days that happen right at the end of the Lenten season, and it ends with Easter. And we will be having, we'll have more information about these services, but right now I'd like to extend an open invitation for the Good Friday service to anyone who will feel led by, by the Lord to share a little bit about their Lenten journey as you're coming to the end of it. It might be a short testimony, it could be a song or a poem, maybe some artwork that you've created during that time. You know, it's really quite open. But I'd like us to share as a community, what is God doing in our midst? What is the Spirit of God saying to us? How is God moving in our hearts as we approach Easter and Resurrection Sunday? That's really the benefit of Lent. It's really the beauty of Lent as well. So, more info to come. But this morning, we will be celebrating communion together, and as we're taking communion, we're examining ourselves from the inside out. We will approach communion just a little bit differently this month. As you come forward, you will receive the communion elements from one of the elders. We'll be up here. Daryl and myself on this side, Curtis and Sean on this side. Um, And then take the elements, hold them, and find a comfortable place. You may go back to your seat. You may come up here to the cross. The lights will be dimmed. There will be some music playing during that time. So come forward. Receive the elements. And I would suggest to come from the outside in. So come from the outside aisles. Come this way. Receive the elements. And then return through the, through the center aisle. Just for traffic safety. All right? um, but go back to your seat. Um, spend some time, and spend some time in this prayer of examine, just a few moments, kind of, just kind of like as a as a warm-up, as a practice, examining the day, examining the morning. What was it like? Just so that we have this time of communion with God. That's what we're here for. We're here to connect with God. And to begin this spiritual practice as you contemplate what Christ did for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to cover them up, to no longer take them into account. And after a while, short while, we will come back together again and take the elements together. And as we're doing that, I'd like, a, I'd like to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is a passage that we so often refer to during communion. Um, Chapter 11, starting at verse 23. Let me read this to you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took, took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the, of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward and help us to uh, take the elements. And let's prepare our hearts as we, uh, as we look to the Lord and as we examine ourselves.